not just gonna let him die like that, are you? My shoulder, Angel. Don't listen to that guy. He's trying to lead you down the path of righteousness. I'm gonna lead you down the path that rocks. I'll come off it. You come off it. You. 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 You, Infinity. Ah. Listen up, big guy. I got three good reasons why you should just walk away. Number one. Look at that guy. He's got that sissy stringy music thing. We've been through this. It's a harp, and you know it. All right. That's a harp, and that's a dress. Robe. Reason number two. Look what I can do. <laughs> what? What does that have to do with me? No, no. He's got a point. Listen, you guys. You're sort of confusing me, so, uh, be gone. Uh, or, uh, you know, however I get rid of you guys. That'll work. Anybody besides me ever get confused about the voices that they hear? Am I alone in that? No, I didn't mean the voices you hear out loud in your head. <laughs> okay, if you hear voices out loud, let's talk after the surface. No, metaphorically, the voices in our heads. I, I get confused sometimes. I mean, I had a great example of this come up in our house, actually, this week. Um, see, our, our son Josh is volunteering uh, at Hope Valley Day Camp for the summer, which uh, we were thinking was a tremendous idea. We wanted to support him to be able to make sure that he was able to do that. There's a few logistical things you have to work out in arranging your summer to make that happen. One of them was actually that Josh has a paper route. And uh, making sure that his paper route was covered for the summer was an important logistical consideration. So uh, Tracy talked to our son Daniel and talked to him about Daniel doing Josh's paper route for him. It makes uh, a lot of sense. It worked out pretty well until this week when Daniel asked, by the way, where's my money? <laughs> like, am I getting paid for doing this? And uh, then we realized that we had failed perhaps to clarify expectations. You see, now I work for Youth for Christ. As a missionary, I get supported by other people in order for me to do my work. You can imagine how I feel about it. <laughs> With Daniel, um, he expected to get paid, whereas perhaps when his mom had explained it to him, had expected that he would voluntarily support his brother's ministry <laughs> by doing his papers. So when Daniel spoke to me about it, he actually said, it's like there's two voices. The one that knows what the right and noble thing to do is, and the one that wants to get paid. <laughs> and you see, the thing about it is, this is not clearly a case of right or wrong. There's nothing wrong with being, you know, paid for your work. So it's not like you're just choosing between black and white. I think the video clip that we watched is actually an example of that. Because you'll notice that, you know, the, the one voice wants to lead you down the path of righteousness, right? Where does the other voice want to take you? Down the path that rocks, right? It's down the path of fun and enjoyment and, and, and cool and great, but not down the path of unrighteousness or down the path of evil or the path that leads to destruction, the voices are not always truthful, right? They're not always clear. How do we know which one to listen to? It's not as clear-cut as a little angel and a little devil on our shoulder. I mean, think about oh, so many complex issues that come into play when we start talking about this. Uh, compromise comes to mind. You know, we in our family have taught our kids that sometimes it's really important that we compromise with one another. 
to live in a family, to live in community with each other, sometimes we have to be able to just go along, to get along, right? How many times do we have that conversation as parents? How many times at work or in other environments do we just need to compromise just a little bit so we can get along? It's an important part of living in relationship with one another. (laughs) But there are times when compromise is a terrible thing to do. There are situations where we should actually be standing up for things, but we don't want to rock the boat or we don't want to get singled out. So we quietly settle for compromise. How do we know when it's the right thing to do? There are times when the Spirit speaks to us to convict us of things that we're doing, saying maybe that's not the right thing to do, and the Spirit speaks to us to let us know that. But then sometimes we hear this other voice that's more of a condemnation telling us things about what we're doing. How do we know which is the voice of truth and which is the lie? And voices, I mean, they come from all sorts of different places. Um, Parents, growing up, we hear the voice. I mean, some people are in therapy from stuff they heard growing up. They're still working it out. Teachers, co-workers, stu- uh, fellow students, uh, bosses, whoever. We have all these voices that speak to us. Some of them say positive things. Lots of positive things. But others say negative things. And, and what is really, really interesting is that the negative things sometimes are the ones that sound the most plausible to us. Sometimes it's easier to believe the negative voice And some of those voices are pretty ugly. They say things to us like, you're never going to amount to anything. Or, you're just a screw-up. You're stupid. You're ugly. You're unlovable. How do we recognize the voice of truth and filter out the lies? It's not always easy to do, but I think it is entirely possible if we're willing to follow a few simple steps, really. I don't think it's all that complicated. And a great example is actually in the life of Jesus. And uh, we read it this morning responsively, uh, as well as what Katie read uh, for us before that. And if you have a Bible this morning, if you wouldn't mind opening it to Matthew uh, chapter 3, the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. If you can keep your finger there, you're going to be able to help me out a lot with this this morning. It's the story of Jesus' baptism and temptation. And uh, Jesus approaches John the Baptist to be baptized. John is hesitant because John does not feel worthy. Jesus insists. Baptism proceeds. And something, something happens during the baptism. A few things happen. But the one that I want to look at right at the moment is the voice that speaks. As Jesus is baptized, a voice speaks. And what does the voice say? You've got it in front of you. What does the voice say? Somebody. This is my son with whom I am well pleased, depending on your translation. This is my dearly loved son, and I am pleased with him. You know, I think that that is a message that a lot of us need to hear this morning. 
Think about this. What has Jesus done in his ministry up to this point? Anybody? What, what has Jesus accomplished in his ministry up to this point? How many miracles has Jesus performed? I don't think it's a trick question. Anybody? Zero. How many people has Jesus healed? Hmm? Zero? Right? How many demons has he cast out? Some of you guys are still looking through your Bibles trying to figure out. None. Right? What has Jesus done? He's apparently studied to be a carpenter. I, I, I presume he's made some awesome shelves. Right? But what has he done in terms of his public ministry? Nothing at this point. But yet, the voice of God speaks to him with this incredible affirmation. You are my dearly loved son, and I am pleased with you. And see, this message is one that I think so many of us need to be reminded of. Because, just listen very closely. You are God's dearly loved son. And you are God's dearly loved daughter. And he is pleased with you. He likes you in spite of your idiosyncrasies and your quirks. Now, anybody notice what's happening in that moment? I will bet that some of you have already had another voice speak to you. A voice that says something like, but... Or a voice that has a qualifying statement to add to that. It's so hard to escape those voices. They're ever-present. They want to qualify things. Look, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, uh, 9, right? He talks about how we're saved by grace. By, through our faith, by grace, we're saved. No work involved. Nothing that we could possibly do. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message of the entire Bible. From start to finish, God loves us and wants to be in relationship with us unconditionally by his grace and mercy, not because of anything we do. And we have so much trouble accepting that. All these voices. And Jesus wasn't immune. Look what happens after Jesus' baptism. Immediately, the Spirit leads him into the desert. Okay? Now, the the wilderness, probably it says in most translations. I mean, think about the wilderness. It's an interesting place. Um... If we had a lot of time, we could dig into all of the symbolism that comes with the wilderness. But just for our purposes, I want you to think about it. I mean, obviously, the children of Israel spent time in the wilderness. A lot of God's chosen and anointed prophets spent time in the wilderness. And God did a lot of business with people in the wilderness. But the wilderness is a place where most of us have spent time. As a matter of fact, it's very likely that some of us here this morning feel like we're in the desert right now. We're in that wilderness place in our lives. And it can be a dry, barren, desolate, weary place where we just don't have the energy anymore. We feel like we just can't. And it's interesting that that is where the devil so often winds up getting on our back in the wilderness. Jesus is in the wilderness and he hears another voice. His voice is clearly identified for us. The devil speaks to him. I find this fascinating. Remember the words of affirmation that Jesus heard from the Father. You are my dearly loved son. (laughs) And what does the devil say? If you are the son of God. 
Fascinating. Since you are the Son of God, why don't you prove it? Do something. And there's a lot of subtlety here because, like, if you've been 40 days, you know, without eating and you're a little hungry and you've got the capacity to make some bread, it's not the craziest idea, is it? Never mind the fact that, I mean, Jesus could have fed, you know, hundreds or thousands of people around him. So, you know, it isn't necessarily the, it isn't necessarily the strangest or, or worst idea, perhaps, but Jesus knows something. How does Jesus respond to, to this suggestion? Somebody who's got it right in front of him. What, is it, what does he say in response? It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God. Exactly. And it is written. He is quoting scripture. This is our first clue that this is going to have something to do with the Bible, just in case you were wondering. Now, here's what I think is really interesting. Let's just look, jump ahead to the second time that the voice speaks. And the voice says, if you are the son of God, why don't you throw yourself off of this precipice? I assume that, you know, perhaps that kind of sign and wonder would probably have a lot of people rallying around Jesus. He would gain a lot of followers. It does sound a little crazy, but here's what I find most interesting about this. What reason does the devil give? What reason does the voice give Jesus at this point that he could do this? Who's got it? What's that? Right, but, but what does it say? I want us to really focus on what, it's, what, 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 what the voice says to him. Right. He, he, he says, for it is written <laughs> that he will give his angels charge over you, right? Your foot is not going to touch the ground. You're not going to be hurt. The devil uses scripture. Guys, this is scary, right? Because we've got now the voice, the lie, is quoting scripture, to, to back up, you know, his point. And to me, like, that is just a little bit worrisome because now we realize Scripture can be twisted. Somebody can take Scripture out of context and take it and use it to mean something that it does not really say, that it is not intended to mean. And here's where Jesus responds again. What does Jesus say? He goes back to Scripture. What does he say? It is also written that... That's right, that you shall not put your, the Lord your God to the test. Okay? Now, this is, why I think this is really important is because Jesus doesn't just memorize Scripture. He's not just, he's not just quoting chapter and verse. Jesus knows the Word in a way that allows him to be able to properly contextualize it and to respond uh, to Scripture being used out of context. So we have to understand that Part of being able to recognize the voice of truth and filter out the lies is actually knowing what the word says. Really knowing it and understanding how it gets applied in context is a critical part of understanding and being able to recognize the voice of truth. Right? 
you know, into the third example, right? Okay, the devil just shows him the, all the kingdoms of the world. And the voice says, look, just bow down to me and I'll give it all to you. It's all yours. Isn't that what you came for? Right? You want dominion over the world? Here you go. I'll give it to you. But see, Jesus knows something about the Father. He knows something about the Father's will and the Father's plan. So what does he respond with? What does he say? Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus understands what he is about, what the Father is about, what his role is, what his position is, and he's able to recognize that there's no easy way out here for him. He's not going to just be handed the world, that there is a path that he needs to take. And I just want to point out, this voice, you know, although at this stage the devil leaves, right, he doesn't really go away entirely. And if you were to look ahead to Matthew chapter 16, for example, you would see uh, the interaction that Jesus has with his disciples when he is talking to his disciples about what is to come. And he explains how he is going to go to Jerusalem and all of the things that are going to happen to him. And Peter pulls him aside and says, no, that isn't going to happen to you. Never is that going to happen. And Jesus gets pretty harsh with him. And he says, what? Get behind me, Satan. You see, the voice is still there. He points out the flaw in Peter's reason. It's, it's, it's a human wisdom that you're using, not, not God's plan, but human wisdom. You see how that voice is still there? Jesus still has to recognize and be able to recognize and hear the voice of truth and filter out the lies. Do you think when Jesus was on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling in prayer and sweating drops of blood that, you know, that if there is another way, is there another way this could happen? Jesus knew what it was like to wrestle with these things. So clearly, knowledge of the word is critical. The relationship with God is critical. Um, If you look back at the baptism, something else happens in addition to the the voice that speaks, right? We see the Spirit descends like a dove. There's a manifestation, a visible manifestation of God's Spirit descending on Jesus. Spirit actually led Jesus into the wilderness. You think about it, we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is an integral part of our lives as believers. And it's God's Spirit that that empowers us to be able to do what it is that He calls us to do. It's through God's Spirit that we can actually discern the voice of truth and filter out lies. We need to know the Word of God. We need to spend time with Him in prayer and meditation and through the Spirit. We deepen in relationship with Him and the more we get to know Him, 
the better we are to recognize his voice. Brian Miller spoke a while ago, and he used this uh, illustration that involved telling two truths and a lie, right? It's a bit of a game where you tell somebody three things about yourself, and uh, two of them are true, one of them is a lie. The game is to guess which one is the lie. Well, it's quite simple, you know. The better you know a person, the easier it is to recognize the falsehood, right? The deeper your relationship with that person, the easier it is to be able to sort out the truth and the lie. I mean, the Bible even talks about the shepherd and the sheep, right? The sheep know my voice. They know the shepherd's voice. The more time we spend in relationship with God, the the easier it is for us to be able to discern his voice and recognize it and be able to filter out the lies. But it's it's, it's not necessarily easy to do because it takes some effort. They call it spiritual discipline. Now, a lot of you know the Pan Am Games are going on in uh, Toronto. Now, I go to the gym and lift some weights. I know you can all tell. But as amazing as I look, (laughs) I always find it humorous that you laugh at that stuff. I don't have the discipline. Let's put skill aside. I don't have the discipline to perform at an elite level. Right? There's lots of mornings when I just don't want to get out of bed, and some mornings I don't. I don't have that discipline to be able to put that kind of effort into training. I also don't have a lot of discipline when it comes to like nutrition. I eat too much. I eat things I shouldn't eat. I was at Ribfest yesterday, and I ate something called a vegetarian nightmare. You're not going to make it to the Pan Am Games with that diet. It takes discipline. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul likens uh, spiritual and physical discipline like, uh, as, as kind of like an analogy. Uh, I think it's like 1 Corinthians um, and, uh, 9, I think around verse 24. He, he, he talks about how training, you know, physical training is like spiritual training, discipline, right? And I think this is a great analogy. Look, you can't, be fit if you go to the gym once a week. It just doesn't work, right? Sporadic physical conditioning is not really going to do you a lot of good. But if you go consistently over a few weeks, a couple of months, you start to notice changes. Well, spiritual discipline is no different. If you spend time with God on a regular basis over a period of time, you start to notice it gets easier to recognize the voice of truth and filter out the lies. I may have been I may have been a little bit misleading when I said at the beginning about Jesus, what did he do? Actually, Jesus did something really significant when he went to be baptized. And it's worth mentioning. You see, when Jesus and John are interacting. John recognizes that he is not worthy. He knows Jesus is superior. But Jesus' insistence that this has to be done is a perfect example of the kind of humble, submissive obedience that Jesus operated in. And humility and obedience are so critical 
Um, Jesus' life is, you know, characterized by this. I mean, when he washes the disciples' feet as a great example of his humble nature, his servant heart, his obedience to the will of the Father. And when we submit ourselves humbly to God, when we put ourselves in that posture of submission and obedience, we are in a better place to be able to hear and recognize his voice, to be able to hear the voice of truth and filter out the lies by being in that posture. It's something that we can only do through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it is such a critical part of being able to recognize the voice of God. And also, you know, when you put aside yourself, how many of the voices that distract us are actually rooted in self, in selfishness and pride? Right? Like, we actually begin to set those aside to be able to focus on the voice of truth. As, um, as I kind of conclude with this thought, I, I just, I just want to mention, you know, Sometimes in physical training, it helps to have a partner or a group of people that you train with. And uh, I know sometimes when I go to the gym with one of my friends, uh, he, he pushes me a little bit more. He, he, uh, I feel more confidence because he's there to back me up. Uh, but also I, I, I will try heavier weights because we spur one another on. Sometimes you know, having a partner in that way is very helpful. You don't have to do that by yourself. You don't have to be in spiritual training by yourself. You can do it with a group of people or with one other partner. And if, if you feel like you're, you're in a place where you're not quite sure how to get started, I mean, some people, like I go to the gym first thing in the morning because if I don't, it's not going to happen any other time. I just know that's the way it is. Some people love to get up in the morning and read and, and study because that's the best time of the day for them. Other people, the morning is not the best time of the day. So they have to find something different. I mean, we're all a little bit unique. But if you need help kind of finding the right resources or finding somebody else that you know could partner with you and help you to begin to build and develop your spiritual discipline, you know, we'd be so happy to help with that. As a community of believers, if you want to talk to me or Ben or Arnie, Richard, Brent, uh, Brian, somebody, we, we'd love to be able to help to connect you. We don't have to uh, do it all entirely by ourselves in order to be able to build the type of relationship with God that enables us to clearly recognize the voice of truth and filter out the lies. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and uh, for what it has to say to us, God. And I just pray that as we uh, reflect on uh, we reflect on the life of Jesus and the example that He set for us, God, that by the power of Your Holy Spirit, that You would help us to filter out those lies, all of those voices that we hear in our lives, that are calling us away from You. And Lord, that we would be able to focus entirely on Your voice, to be able to hear You and know You and to be able to follow your prompting and your leading for our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.